0: This morning I want to return to the first chapter of 1 Peter, where I was yesterday uh, in trying to preach. And I want to just give a brief review of the first first five verses of 1 Peter chapter 1. The Apostle Peter is writing this to a group of people in the first century who are children of God. Not only are they children of God, but they are professors of Jesus Christ. They're Christians. They've made a profession of their faith in Christ. And for that reason, they were going to be persecuted by the Romans, by the Jews, and even by their own family members who opposed their Christian faith. So the Apostle Peter is writing this letter to be a great encouragement to first century Christians. And I believe it can work today in 2021. How many of y'all need some encouragement? (laughs) We all need encouragement. And the Word of God gives us more encouragement than anything else that I know of in this world. You know, the word encouragement means to pour courage into somebody. Now, have you ever been around somebody that just encouraged you with their attitude, with their words, with their, with their uh, facial expression? They just built you up. I like to be around people like that. Have you ever been around somebody that discouraged you, just pulled you down? Everything is bad and it's going to get a lot worse. I don't enjoy that kind of company. I like to be around people that pour courage into me. Because I want to tell you, you and I need courage in this world. We don't need fear. The spirit of fear brings bondage. We need courage. And our courage comes from looking to our God. And so the Apostle Peter is going to be writing this letter to encourage first Christian, first century Christians, and the word has been preserved for 2,000 years for people like us. And I hope today that you will be encouraged as we look. Now, he's writing to people who are strangers, scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And I think these people have been scattered into these different geographical locations because of persecution. Wouldn't it be sad if America started experiencing a lot of Christian a lot of persecution for our Christian faith and we had to flee our homes to go where we could be safe? I don't know where that would be. America the is the safest place on the earth, I think. Where would you go today if you had to flee for safety? Would you want to go to Mexico? I I wouldn't want to go to Canada. I wouldn't want to go to Central America. I certainly wouldn't want to go to South America. But these people are having to flee for refuge. So he's writing them this letter to encourage them. Now they're strangers because they have been driven out of their homeland. But not only are they strangers, they are elect. Verse 2. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Now that had to encourage these people to be reminded that you have been elected by God. You've been chosen by God to be His children. Don't y'all think that would be encouraging this morning to have some evidence that you are among the elect of God? That He loved you and chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world? And then he begins to talk about their hope. Now, the Apostle Peter had a hope that Jesus was the Messiah, the Christ, but his hope died when Jesus died on the cross. But three days later, Jesus arose from the grave, and when the Apostle Peter saw him in his resurrection body, his hope was enlivened. And what is your hope today? Your hope is that someday when this life is over we are going to heaven. Did you notice how many of the songs we sung this morning were all about heaven? It was incredible. Song after song after song was pointing us to another world. Now, we just sung that song, The Sweet By and By. I like that song. It's a beautiful song. The melody's pretty, the the music is pretty, the 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 uh, the words are beautiful, but I want to tell you the hope of the sweet by and by makes the now and now very sweet. It does. I don't. I just don't get it how people can enjoy their lives on this earth knowing it's going to end. If they didn't have the sweet hope that when it's over here, I'm going to a better world. How many of y'all have that hope today? Isn't it sweet? The sweet by and by makes the now and now very sweet. Uh, And God's children shouldn't be going around hopeless. What are we hoping for? Well, he tells us we're hoping for an inheritance. Not in this world. Now, you may end up with a great inheritance down here. You may have somebody that loves you and... And when they die, they're going to leave you an earthly inheritance. And that will be a blessing. But I'll tell you, anything you inherit here is, is corruptible. It is going to be defiled and it's going to fade away. But our inheritance in Jesus Christ is undefiled. It's incorruptible and it will never fade away. Isn't that wonderful to think about? I mentioned yesterday, all those automobiles we drove the church in this morning, we thank God for them, but I can tell you, if time goes on, every one of them is going to end up in a junkyard somewhere. I pass a big junkyard on 112 going home, and that car, that junkyard is full of vehicles that were new one time, and people are excited to get them. Now, they're no longer roadworthy. They're in the junkyard. Your car... Your truck will someday be in the junkyard. And you know what's going to happen to these bodies? They're wearing out. And they're going to end up in the cemetery. So what we're hoping for in reality is something out of this world. And God's children who have this hope of a better world and a resurrected body that will be undefiled, I tell you, we ought to be the happiest people on the face of this earth. And and the apostle goes on to say, he says uh, in verse 6, wherein ye greatly rejoice. Now that sounds like happy people, doesn't it? Greatly rejoicing. How many of y'all this morning are greatly rejoicing in the fact that you have a Savior he loved you enough to leave heaven and come down here and bear your sins in his body, pay for them in full, and now he's going to come back and get us and take us with him to the Father's house in glory. How many of y'all are greatly rejoicing in that? I am. God's children ought to be the happiest people on the face of this earth. I remember a story years ago I heard about a, a pastor, he saw a little girl... And she was making faces at a bulldog. And, and, and she was not making a pretty face. You know, bulldogs are not that cute. They look like they're half mad. And the pastor said, honey, why are you making faces at a bulldog? And she said, well, he started it. <laughs> well, I want to tell you, if, if there are people in this world, if you stay around them long enough... <laughs> You'll start trying to make an ugly face. But listen, God's children who have this sweet hope that Jesus loves me. I I like that little child song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. How many of y'all like that song? It's a beautiful song. Years and years ago, one of the great theologians in the Bible uh, from Europe came to America to hold a conference, a Bible conference, and at the end of the conference they had question and answers. And somebody said, uh, uh, Doctor, uh, what is your greatest, if you could just simplify the greatest thing you've ever learned, what would it be? And you know what he did? He quoted that little child song. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Y'all know anything better than that? If you do, raise your hand. I'll let you have the pulpit right now. But I don't know anything better than the fact that Jesus loves me. And the Bible tells me so. And he loved me enough to come down here and die for me. He didn't just talk about it. He walked the walk. So, the apostle says, Wherein ye greatly rejoice. Oh, I... I love that song. Our songbook is just full of songs that'll have you smiling if you don't watch out. <laughs> that, that song someday. I'll tell you that was the most cheerful song this morning. I just felt lifted up, just listening to you all sing that beautiful song. But now, let's notice this in verse six: Wherein ye greatly rejoice. You don't just rejoice, you greatly rejoice. I want to tell you. When we get to the house of God to worship, and I know our church families has had some real uh, sad moments of late. And we're not happy about people being sick. We're not happy about people dying. We're not happy about that. But we are happy that in spite of all that, we have this wonderful hope, this living hope that we're going to heaven when this life is over. So we greatly rejoice. Uh, People at church worshiping Jesus Christ, the King of kings, you shouldn't look like that mama weans you on a a pickle. (laughs) Right? Some people in church, been in church years, and they look like they were baptized in lemon juice. I want to tell you, We have a glorious God and Savior. He's on His throne. He's not getting COVID. He's not getting sick. He's not getting old like I am. You know, yesterday I was talking about how sin pulls us down in these bodies. And I'm going to share this with you all quickly if I can. I, I just pointed out the fact that I've got a picture of me when I was a little baby about nine years of age. I don't know how my mom and daddy afforded it, but it's an olden Mill picture. And I was the cutest baby you've ever laid your eyes on. Somebody last night said, I want to see it. <laughs> they couldn't believe it. Well, I got it. My wife's baby picture is right next to mine. She was cute too. But I said, y'all look at me now. And you see what sin is doing. And a brother said to his wife, he said, it's it's sin abounding. (laughs) Sin is abounding in our bodies. It's pulling us down. It is. And there's no medicine, no exercise that's going to reverse the curse. We're all under the curse of sin and death. Y'all do know that. But I want to tell you this morning, beloved, (laughs) In spite of that fact, we have this wonderful anticipation that when this brief life here is over, we are going to a far better world where there'll be no sickness, there'll be no, uh, there'll be no, uh, death, there'll be no sin at all. So, the apostle says, wherein ye greatly rejoice. I want you all to greatly rejoice in it. Don't let the devil rob you of the joy that you could have this morning by rejoicing in your Savior. Don't let Satan rob you of that. Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants you and me to be down and out. He wants us to be defeated. He wants us to be discouraged. He wants us to go around feeling hopeless. The Word of God will pour courage into us and cause us to rejoice, even in the presence of death itself. So Paul, would, so Peter would say, "Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations." Now, the Word of God is very realistic. The Word of God is not all positive. The Word of God realizes the brokenness that is in this world. The Word of God is extremely uh, accurate in describing our condition here. So, the Apostle Peter would say, "...wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now, for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations." Now, a season is just a passing thing, right? I love the seasons of the year. I'm glad I live in a part of the world where we can actually observe the seasons. Well, the apostle says, Though now for a season, for a brief period of time, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. And that word heaviness there really means distress, sad, uh, grieving, sorrowful. And we've all had those seasons in life when we had to say goodbye to a loved one. We understand that those seasons of heaviness come. You find out you've got cancer or you've got heart trouble or a storm comes through and blows your house away. Uh, And I have friends in Tennessee who have lost all their earthly possessions due to floods. I'm going to tell you, you would be in heaviness if you were experiencing that. I understand that. We get that. And so the Apostle Peter is acknowledging that in this life, in this journey, we're all going to have seasons of heaviness if need be. Now, through manifold Temptations. That word manifold means many different kinds, many different times you are going to be going through manifold temptations. I remember hearing years ago, if you're not in trouble now, uh, just wait a while. You will be. Most people are just coming out of a problem, or they're right in the middle of one right now, or they're facing one a few days down the road. There's no utopias on this planet. There aren't. All the money in the world can't buy you a utopia down here. And you're going to be in heaviness through manifold temptations on occasions. All of us are. Nobody is exempt. I want to tell you, adversity is not partial. It, it, It hits everywhere. Black, white, yellow, red, young, old, rich, poor, we're all going to face manifold temptations. Now, the word temptation here is an interesting use of the word. You know, the word temptation is used two different ways in the Bible. The word temptation can mean to entice someone to do evil. That's what Satan does. Have you all ever been enticed to do evil, to do something you shouldn't do? I'm sure you have. I have. We all have had to face Satan And he he entices us to do evil in this world. That's one use of the word temptation. But another use of the word temptation is to be tested, to be tried under some difficult situation. Like when the Bible says that uh, God did 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 tempt Abraham. You remember that? Uh, In Genesis chapter 21, after these things, God did tempt Abraham. God didn't tempt Abraham to do evil, but he was going to test Abraham's faith. And all of us are going to go through those kinds of testings and trials. See, the word temptation, some people think every time you see it in the Bible, it means you're being enticed to do evil. No. That's not true. Let's go back just a moment to James chapter one, where James would say, my brethren, this is chapter one and verse two, my brethren count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations. Now, James is not saying there that you and I ought to count it all joy when the devil is attacking us and trying to get us to do something we shouldn't do. That's That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about testings and trials. And listen, if you and I can have the proper attitude to more trials and tribulations when they come to us, and we recognize, I wish this wasn't happening, but since it is, it's an opportunity for me to grow in my character, to grow in my faith, to grow in my love. I want to tell you, trials and tribulations have a way of making us. There's an old saying that trials will make you bitter or they'll make you better. And I want to tell you, if you've got the right attitude, your trials will make you a better person in this world. But if you let them, they will make you a bitter, angry person. Who wants to be bitter and angry? Not me. So the word temptation has to be studied in its context. Let's look here at James chapter 1 and verse 13. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot tempt, be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. In other words, our God cannot be tempted by Satan to do evil. Aren't y'all glad of that? Our God is a thrice holy God. Satan can't get him. And I want to tell you, God is not tempted with evil, and neither does he tempt any of us to do evil. So, listen to what he says. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then, when lust "...hath conceived it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death." That's the kind of temptation that Satan uses. And he wants to destroy us by getting us to do something that is not right, that's going to be harmful to us. So you see how the word temptation can be used in different contexts. When you're studying the Bible, you need to leave words in their context. Take them out of their context... You can prove anything. Take the word, for instance, bank. The word bank has different uses in the English language. It can be a place where you deposit money, or it can be a place where, you know, a riverbank. you all see the difference in how that word is used. I heard about a lady one time, an elderly lady. She was at her doctor, and he was getting on to her for not exercising. She just wasn't getting out and walking and exercising. So the next time she went to the doctor, she said, Doctor, I've been walking around the block 12 times every day. He he applauded her. Well, what, what it was, she had found a little block in the children's toy box. She was walking around it 12 times a day. Well, technically she was right. But she was very deceiving. Words have to be left in their context and understood properly. Well, this word temptation, let's go back to it just a moment here, where the Apostle Peter is saying uh, that the, he says in verse 6, wherein ye greatly rejoice, don't lose your joy in Jesus, no matter what's going on down here. Beloved, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. If you can rejoice in Jesus yesterday, you can rejoice in him tomorrow, because he's not changing. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So don't lose your joy in the Lord, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations. And that word temptation there is used in the sense of being tested, being tried to do something that
1: uh, is not
0: right in the sight of our God in heaven. Now notice, if you will, back in James. Let's turn back there just a moment to James chapter 1 and verse 2. He says, My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into divers temptations. He didn't say if, he said when. Everybody is going to face trials. Everybody is going to face difficulties in this life. Nobody is exempt from it. And when it does happen, try to have the attitude toward it, this is my opportunity to grow in my faith, grow in my trust. I'm, I'm leaning on the everlasting arms. I'm trusting in God. So when your trials come, and, and they will come, and, and we know people right now that are going through a lot of trials, a lot of tribulations. Uh, you take people in, in Louisiana that are without power and will be for days, perhaps weeks. We know people there that are in that condition. That's a great trial. Now, what are you to do when something like that comes your way? Are you just supposed to sit down and cry and have a big pity party? Are you supposed to say, woe is me? Are you supposed to say, why would God let this happen to me? no. I want to tell you, questions like that are not going to help. What you ought to do is say, Lord, help me to grow during this experience. Help me to learn to lean on you. Help me, to, help me to trust in you. Help me to be a help to my neighbors. I want to tell you, all over Louisiana and other parts of the country right now, there are neighbors and friends that are going to the assistance of their their family and their friends that are suffering. I like that uh, Cajun, what is it they call them down there? Uh, they, and they got boats and they can just go everywhere and help total strangers that have been stranded. Y'all love to read about people like that. I do. And, and this country is full of good people that are willing to help others. We're trying to make up a love offering now for this church In Waverly, Tennessee, that had the flood, 22 people killed. You know, that's an opportunity for you and me to help. And and instead of just talking about all my troubles, I can find find joy in helping other people. You know one of the best ways to get over your problem is to find somebody else that's got a problem and help them? Do you all believe that? Are y'all listening? Some of you look like, I'm not interested, brother. (laughs) I want to tell you, Jesus said this. He said, inasmuch as you have given a cup of cool water to one of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. Now, Jesus isn't on this earth today. If he was down here and he was thirsty, how many of y'all would love to give him a drink of water? I would. I'd give him anything I could get that he wanted. I'd walk, I'd walk ten miles just to give him a drink of water. Would y'all, I'm in the, surely I'm in the midst of a people this morning that love Jesus enough, you would walk ten miles if you could to give him a drink of water. But he's not here anymore. He's back in glory. When he was on that cross, he said, I thirst. And not a soul, not a soul gave him a drink of water. The enemy lifted up some vinegar to give him. He who made the universe created every drop of water in the oceans and the rivers and the streams. On that cross, as a man suffering for us, didn't have one drop of water. You talk about love. You talk about somebody loving you. He loved you. Enough to come down here and on that cross. Let me tell you, crucifixion was a horrible way to die. And it did intensify uh, thirst. And my Savior was up there. Listen, if he was down here today and he was thirsty, we'd all want to give him a drink. But he's not. I'm glad he's back in glory, aren't you all? He's up there at the Father's right hand. He'll never suffer again. Nobody will ever spit on him. Nobody will ever crown him with thorns. He's in his glory, and I'm glad of that. But y'all are his children. And you know what he said? If you do this to one of these my little ones, you've done it to me. Are y'all listening? If 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 you could just... You know, a a young couple in our church took supper to Brother Jerry and Sister Wonell the other night. Sister Wonell was telling me about it and she was just glowing on the phone about this young couple that took them a meal They were both suffering from COVID. Somebody built a little uh, ramp for my brother Kai when he was so sick and needing to get in the house in a wheelchair. Things like that. You think they're not much. They are. I can't do it to my Savior, but I can do it to you all. I can help you all. How many of us today are on this earth to be a blessing to others? I want to be a blessing, don't y'all? I tell you, you see it in the military, how these how these soldiers, I'm telling you, they love one another. There's a, there's a bond between soldiers that's incredible. And let me tell you, they're right there to help one another, especially when they're wounded and hurting. That's the way we ought to be, beloved. And you see, in our trials, we can learn to be more compassionate. You know, a lot of people were selfish before they had kids. You know what a kid can do for you? A kid can teach you not to be self-focused or narcissistic. A kid can teach you to have patience. A kid can just fill your heart with love. It's wonderful to have kids. God pity the people who never want to have a child. Now listen, when you have a baby, you just signed up for 20 years of hard labor, right? Isn't that right? In some cases, it's 30 years. <laughs> and mom and daddy's got to go through all this. Sleepless nights. They're sick. They got a fever. And you'd give anything if they just go to sleep so you could go to sleep. But you know what? Mama and daddy are being blessed. You know why? Because they're doing it out of a heart of love. Having kids is a big job. But I want to tell you, You can learn a lot by having children. I know there are people who want children and can't have children, and I understand that. But let me tell you, I I know a number of women who are barren in this world, but let me tell you, they were always wanting to try to help other people. Isn't that a wonderful thing to live in a world where people are caring for one another? Now, I know there's a lot of selfishness in our world And I know it's all about me, all about me, all about me with some people, but not with us. No. So when your trials come, he says that the trial of your faith being much more precious than gold that perisheth. Now, wait a minute. we got to stop there just a minute. He says that the trial of your what? The trial of your faith. See, if you've got faith in God today, that that just means you've been born of the Holy Spirit because faith is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It is. And if you've got faith, then that faith is going to be tested in this life. And what is faith? Faith is trusting in God, the unseen God, the God who created the heavens and the earth. And my faith is in him, not in the government, but in him, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth. Now we know gold in the natural realm is precious. It's a precious metal. It's rare, it's precious, it's been a store of value for centuries. And 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 gold it was valuable. Five thousand years ago is still valuable today. Gold doesn't lose its value, but I want to tell you something more valuable than gold. Are y'all you interested? Your faith in God. Did you know your faith in God that helps you and you're trusting Him when you're going through trials? That's far more valuable than gold that perishes. You may say, "Well, brother Sam, how do I know my how do I know my faith is real when it's tested?" See, he's talking here about gold. How do you know that gold is tested? I, I've read about gold miners who went out to California looking for gold mines. And they'd find a nugget, and that nugget would shine and glitter. But they knew there was such a thing as fool's gold, and you didn't know if it was gold or not. But you would take it to the assayer's office, and the assayer would test it. He would try it. <clears throat> he would do it, do it kind of through, through fire or chemicals, And if it was real gold, the assayer assayer would give you a certificate saying, this is real. I want to tell you, if you were a gold miner and you found a nugget of gold up there in those hills and it was proven to be gold, you'd be excited, wouldn't you? Because you know this little nugget here is not worth a lot, but what it represents is a great fortune. How does he know it's real? It's been tested. Well, I want to say to you all this morning, you know your faith is real when it's been tested. And you just keep on trusting in God. And you're not just giving up. I want to tell you, let's not give up. One of the most beautiful pictures I ever saw of Christ, you know, we don't know what his face looked like, but in the distance you could see a man on a cross. And the caption was, He didn't quit. He didn't quit. He didn't quit when he was going up Calvary and they had beaten him and scourged him and mocking him. And that heavy beam was placed on his bloody back and he knew what was waiting for him up there on that hill. He didn't quit. He kept on. You know why? His love for us. And I don't want us to quit today. I've been in the church 55 years. I've seen a lot of people quit. I've seen them fall by the wayside. I've seen them just give up. Oh, brethren and sisters, let's not do that. Let's trust in the living God. Let's know that our God is able. And you see, when you trust Him, I want to tell you, He comes through. Now you say, Brother Sam, I prayed about this and this. And I want to say this. I believe you and I have a scriptural right to ask God to uh, deliver us from temptations That are going to test us. Jesus said uh, in his model prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What temptation is that? Well, it's certainly not to do evil. God doesn't tempt us to do evil. We have a right to ask God. God, build a hedge around me. Protect me. Protect my wife. Protect my children. My grandchildren. Protect this church. Protect this community. Please, God, build a hedge around us and keep us safe. We have a right to pray for that. How many of y'all would like to pray for that? You say, well, I prayed for that and tragedy came. Well, my Savior prayed for it and tragedy came. Jesus in the garden said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, I think what Jesus was saying to the Father there is this, Father, if there's any other way to get our children into heaven other than by me going to the cross and dying, let it be. If there's any other way, any other price that could pay this debt, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And we know that was not God's will. And Jesus went on to the cross And you and I ought to be praying today for God's protection. I do. I want to be protected from cancer. I want to be protected from heart attacks. I want to be protected from accidents on the highway. I want to be protected from COVID. I'm praying to God constantly, protect me and my loved ones. That's a scriptural prayer. But God may not choose to do it. You see, I want to say this. You and I are in good hands. Y'all believe that? How many of y'all agree you're in good hands? Some insurance company used to say you're in good hands with Allstate. (laughs) I don't know about Allstate, but I do know about God. You're in good hands. And I just tell you, He's brought me safe thus far. I believe His grace is going to be with me right on to the end. And I want y'all to live in that. And I want your faith to grow. When you read Hebrews 11 about all the troubles that those people went through in the Old Testament, and by faith they, they saw the invisible. By faith they chose the incorruptible. By faith they didn't quit. They just kept on going. <laughs> I want to tell you, my faith is in the living God who can do exceeding abundantly above anything or everything I've ever thought of or prayed for. I want you all to know you're not alone. And God is not your (laughs) co-pilot. That wouldn't be much comfort, would it? No, sir, he's in the driver's seat. And my faith is in the living God. And these people here, the Apostle Peter, he finally died a martyr's death. They, They were going to crucify him. And he said, no, don't crucify me right side up like my Savior. I don't deserve that. Crucify me upside down. That's a true story, folks. We're not making this up. How how could anybody have that attitude toward crucifixion? The Apostle Peter did. His faith in God. And I don't know what you're facing. I don't. I don't know what I'm facing. I, I like life a day at a time. What about y'all? I like that song... One day at a time, sweet Jesus. That's all I'm asking of you. I, I want it one day at a time. I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know one thing. I know who's holding tomorrow in His hand. Do y'all believe that? Do you believe He can keep you as the apple of His eye and in the hollow of His hand? So Peter, they, they crucified Him. But I want to tell you, I believe He left this world praising God. And rejoicing. They can kill my body, but they can't do a thing to my soul. When you take this body down, it's just like opening a bird cage and letting the bird fly out and fly away. Thank you all for your wonderful attention. May our faith in God grow.